Welcome to the First Century Youth Ministry Podcast, a podcast looking back into the Jewish roots of our faith for the way forward in youth ministry discipleship. My name is Heather, and I'm a longtime youth ministry leader, lover of sweatpants, and I'm the author and founder of First Century Youth Ministry. And I'm Mark, a longtime youth pastor, ancient studies nerd, and Star Wars aficionado. This podcast is part of the Youth Cartel Podcast Network. Hey friends, before we start this episode, just want to give you a quick update. We went ahead and went a little long on this episode. We normally keep our episodes under 20 minutes for your quick morning commute. However, this conversation with Dr. Imes was so good and quite frankly, so personal for me that the conversation just kept going. So we've actually split this one up into two episodes. They will release on the same day, so you can listen to the full episode Um, Just click on part two after this episode is finished. So thanks for joining us. And here's your episode with Dr. Carmen Joy Imes. Hey, everyone. We're back for a great episode with Dr. Imes. And Heather's going to ask her a great question. So let's just get right to it. Let's do it. Hey, welcome back, Dr. Imes. We had a super fun discussion with you last time um, on uh, the importance of understanding the Old Testament law and how it's about grace and how it's about bearing God's name. And so you've got a new project that you're working on uh, that's coming out of the shoot here pretty soon, being God's image. So you kind of let us have a first peek look at that uh, a few weeks ago in preparation for this episode. And in that article that you shared at a a seminary, a conservative seminary, you talked about how um, the church needs to get back to understanding this part of being God's image in light of uh, certain issues like women, women in ministry and other issues mm-hmm. of justice. And, you know, th- that was became very personal to me as I was reading over that article, because mm-hmm. I dance around in the conservative world. And that's what I've been a part of all my life. And um, because of that, I've dealt with a lot of issues in the church of people not knowing what to do with me. So they just yeah. don't do much with me because mm-hmm. of the fear of the fact that I'm a woman who's gifted with leadership abilities and has ministry giftings and capabilities. And so instead Mm -hmm. of saying, Hey, let's give that girl a tractor run and they go, what do we do with her? I don't know. Right. And I've, I've had people say like the craziest things to me. um, Mm -hmm. And really, and I've had some conversations with some of them of how they're just really rooted in fear. But again, Mm -hmm. because of the, the theological construct that they've created, they refuse to move past it because it's it's what they believe to be true, even though, mm-hmm. and what you're going to talk about here, it really doesn't reflect the full image of God. So can you kind of get us to the point where you're at today? Can you kind of help us understand yeah. um, where you're coming from and the article that you wrote and where you're going with your new project? Yeah, sure. So, um, and thanks, thanks for having me back on the podcast. Excited to have this conversation So maybe as a way of kind of an on-ramp to the conversation, I could sketch out the difference. There's a difference in similarity between being God's image and bearing God's name. So Mm. last time we talked about how um, Christians or the the community of faith bears God's name among the nations. And so name-bearing is something that's true of anyone who's a covenant member. Um, Being God's image is different because it's something that's true of every human being, Mm -hmm. regardless of their status, the status of their relationship with God. If they're estranged from God, if they've rejected uh, Christian faith, um, they are still the image of God. 
that that status does not change. So this yeah. next book project is exploring what does it mean to be human? Mm. Uh, what what does the Bible say about human personhood? And so naturally, I begin that exploration in the early chapters of Genesis. And as I have been digging into Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, I feel like there are inescapable conclusions about what it means to be male and female that kind of get bound up in this conversation. I don't think that our status as God's image entails our our gender or our sex. I don't think I don't think that sex and gender are intrinsic to image status. But when the Bible introduces humanity as his image, it's in in Genesis one twenty seven. It clearly says, "In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them." So this is important because it tells us that every human being, regardless of their biological sex, is the image of God. Right. He now, didn't young say people, male, then female, he created them. He said male right, right, and female. Right. It's not, them. it's yeah. not like men are the actual image of God and women right. are sort of this shadowy counterpart yeah. that's sort no. of like a, an, a knockoff or an offshoot or something like sure. male and female are the image of God. So w- what comes to my mind as I even articulate this, and you might be able to hear it in how I'm trying to nuance this is that in youth ministry today, um, youth pastors are encountering a lot, a lot of young people who are wrestling with their sexuality and Mm -hmm. wrestling with gender identity issues. Um, And that's not my area of specialization, but I just want to say a a word about it because it's something that's on everyone's mind right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, As we're in this kind of cultural sea change, I think that Genesis one and two provide some guardrails for us but they can't bear the weight of all of our modern questions about gender identity. They're not, these chapters are not designed to answer every question that we are asking today. Mm -hmm. They, they give us some boundaries within which to operate. And so, um, so some might be frustrated. Well, you keep speaking in gender binaries. Like, well, yes, because Genesis does. Um, And Genesis one and two don't separate between sex and gender the way, um, the way we've been taught to do now. So, so yeah. I, I just want to say that at the outset, as we're talking about women and women in ministry. No, and I'm, it's, I'm, it's not your fault. I mean, the priest that writes that text is, right. he works in binaries. God divides into categories and separates. Light and categories. dark and sea and dry land and everything mm-hmm. is in. Mm-hmm. If you're going to read it, you have, you have to honor how yes. that writer is writing for yes. sure. And, and so I think the beautiful thing about Genesis 127 is that we can see that all humanity, and when they say male and female, they're they're intending to, to encompass all humans. Nobody's excluded mm-hmm. from this status as the image of God. So today we have more complicated conversations about intersex persons. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I don't think this passage is excluding anyone. Um, if you mm-hmm. are if you are born right, or yeah. a human, you are the image of God. Yeah, for sure. So um so that's kind of the on-ramp to what I began to notice as I was digging into Genesis 1 and 2 as I as I looked at well what are men and women doing and 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 how how is God working with them and I, I'm convinced that we in the church have vastly underutilized women's gifting. Mm-hmm. Um, we have so many churches that seem to ground their theology of gender in chapter 3 
in the statements in chapter three that happen after Adam and Eve's rebellion. And yeah. as if um, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you is like the paradigm for gender relations. And that I think is problematic because that is the consequence of the fall. It's not the Part vision. The if we want, right, that's right. right. Yes. If we want the vision, we have to go back to Genesis two, where sure. we find that God makes man mm-hmm. gives him a job to do. And then immediately concludes, this is not good because mm-hmm. you're all by yourself. Right. And so woman comes along as the counterpart to man. Um, and, and the, the focus of chapter two is not on their difference, but on their similarity. Mm. Um, and, and that they're side by side working. So one of the things I talk about in um, the article that you referenced, which people can watch if they, this was a talk I gave at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And if people Google it, or maybe you can provide a link in the show notes, um, you can now watch the watch me giving the talk. Um, so I talked about it there and I'm talking about it in my next book, Being God's Image. But in verse 18, it says, it says, Yahweh God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Mm-hmm. And a lot of ink has been spilled over this idea of women being man's helper. Mm-hmm. And growing up in the church, I assumed that meant that women came alongside to support the man and his vision and mm-hmm. his gifting and his leadership. Sure. Yeah. But as I've dug into that word in Hebrew, it's the, the Hebrew word is ezer. Mm-hmm. And it occurs about a hundred times in the Hebrew Bible. Half of those are referring to Yahweh as Israel's Ezer. Mm. Yahweh is not someone who comes alongside right? and cleans up after us and supports our vision. It's That's the other right. way around. That's right? right. Yeah. The the other half of those um, occurrences of Ezer refer to military allies. Mm-hmm. If you are under attack by a neighboring nation and and uh, y- your military power is not strong enough to overcome them, then you need an Ezer. And, and so God will send you an Ezer. That is, he will send troops from somewhere else to come alongside and fight with you. Nowhere in the entire Hebrew Bible is the word Ezer used as a, to describe what a servant does or what a underling does mm-hmm. or what a cleanup mm-hmm. crew does. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel like we need to ground our vision of the partnership of men and women in Genesis 2.18, properly understood, God sees that there's something not right about Adam doing this work on his own, uh, doing the work of ruling and subduing the earth. He can't, first of all, he can't multiply (laughs) all by himself, right? He can't, um, he can't be fruitful and increase in number all by himself. He needs a counterpart, someone similar to him who can procreate with him. Yeah. But procreation is not the whole point of being the image. It's mm. not as though if you're not procreating, you must not be the image of God. I don't think that's how the passage works. Um, the image entails rulership. Rulership is something Adam can't do by himself. God gives him someone, a counterpart corresponding to him, and that's woman. Yeah. Um, and so th- I think that's our... S- that's our should be our starting point for any conversation about uh, women in the church. So, Doctor Imes, do you think that as I'm thinking about what you're talking about, sometimes I think the church gets caught up on, well, that's what a pastor does. That's what the role of a pastor does. So, a woman can never give a a message in church, or if a woman does, you know, preach a sermon, don't say she's preaching. Just say she's giving a testimony or a message or something like that. Where 
we get so caught up on roles, right? We, mm-hmm. we get so caught up mm-hmm. in thinking that somehow that woman is, is sneaking into this category of, you know, the lead pastor or something like that, especially in the conservative yeah. world. Right. Yeah. And um, instead, I think what, what I hear you saying is let's get back to understanding that, no, we're, we're ushering forth and we're bringing forth God's image as we allow one another to operate our gifts that further the kingdom of God and that bring mm-hmm. God greater glory as one another work together in this um, in this way yeah. that uh, strengthens each other, right? And helps yeah. each other when there's gaps and when there's areas that need filled. Yes. I think we often become constrained by our own titles and the way we define those titles. And that's where getting back to first century context is helpful. Yeah. Um, I would argue that the word pastor is not an office, but a, a, a gifting in the New Testament. And so um, it when, when Paul lists the gifts um, that are given to the church, pastor, teacher, evangelist, those are not gender specific. He, he doesn't say these are the gifts God gives men to do or God gives gifts God gives to men, depending on which passage you're looking at. Um, it, they're not gender specific. They are something that's true of believers. And so uh, sometimes we get hung up on, oh, pastor. And in that mind, that's an, or, in our mind, that's an ordained role mm-hmm. that holds an office of authority and therefore only a man can do it. So there's this sort of chain reaction in our mind without even realizing it. Sure. And so then we get bent out of shape about the idea of a woman being called a pastor or doing pastoral work because we've conflated our church structure, our polity with yeah. words that are used in the New Testament. Sure. Yeah. And I, th- I see, I think we could give a long list of women who are vital to the work of the ministry in the New Testament who are doing all sorts of things that don't yeah. fit in a neat and tidy box of like, well, it, churches draw the lines in different places about what women can or can't do. Um, that's that's part of what's problematic about it. Is there's so many places people draw the line, right? Can a woman teach Sunday school? Well, yes, up to a certain age. What is that age? Is it mm-hmm. puberty? Is sure. it adulthood? Is it right? Um, is does it depend on the day of the week or whether she's up front behind a pulpit or you know what? There's just so many different ways to think about this. And um, I think you we want to do a deep dive on those New Testament passages too, from a perspective that's not coming from the idea that only males should be in certain roles, but takes the text very seriously. Uh, Dr. Gupta, Nijay Gupta, mm-hmm. um, is publishing some great books on that. And he yes. teaches a whole course on basically women in ministry in the early church. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you could just, if you want to just a one-stop shopping, go to Romans chapter 16 and yeah. look through the list of sure. all of the coworkers that Paul holds up for on as worthy of honor. And there are lots of women in the list, Mm -hmm. including, uh, including a woman that he refers to as an apostle. Um, I think there's a deacon on the list. Mm -hmm. He sent, he, he says at the beginning of the, of the chapter, I commend to you, our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sencre. And, and Phoebe then apparently was the one delivering the letter 
uh, that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. And many scholars believe that the person who delivered the letter would have been also responsible to read it to the community and explain it on the sender's behalf. So she is actually like Paul's ambassador bringing Mm -hmm. his message, which shouldn't be shocking or scandalous to us because didn't Jesus entrust the most important news of human history to a woman? At the Garden Tomb, he tells Mary Magdalene to go tell the disciples that he's risen, giving her the most important theological message. So um, I don't think we set out to like um, do a full exploration in this podcast right. about um, what in particular the polity of the church should be or what does yeah. the Bible teach about women. I think our intention is is to to say, okay, given your context, what can you do? Um, sure. How can you be creative about it? Yeah, yeah. That's good. You know, I think I think you made a good point there where um, you're simply asking people to think like in this um, this message that you gave at the seminary, you were simply challenging your listeners to reconsider how they viewed these certain things with in ministry. And so yeah. you know, this this conversation has been super enriching for all of us to really take a look and to really think about why are we operating in these ways? Where does this come from? What's driving it? And what's mm-hmm. what's what's the motivation behind it? Because um, I think you've you're you're grounding it in something really potentially beautiful is to say, hey, there's something beautiful about God's image that we're supposed to be bearing. And yeah. women and men bear that image together. It's together. Not, yeah. It's not men here, women there, you know, women underneath. It's men and women together that move forward um, the kingdom of God. So, and if yeah. our ministries are all characterized by men's voices are the only voices being heard, then yeah. does God come along and look at our work and does he does he respond the same way he did in the garden by saying it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. Well, friends, there was part 1. So to check out part 2, just click the next link or check it out on your commute home from work today, but definitely check out this next half of our conversation with Dr. Carmen Joy Imes.